The show is supported today by Harry's. So thanks, Harry's and listeners. You can get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel if you go to harrys.com forward slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Thursday, October 19th, and it's the Energy and Industrial Show, and we're nearing the end of our Pitcher Stock theme week across Industry Focus. I'm your host, Sarah Priestley, and I'm joined in the studio by the one and only Christine Hodges from Wednesday's much-loved healthcare show. Christine, thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I don't think we've ever had an episode together. I don't. I mean, we did the. We've had a group episode together. Uh, yeah, other than yeah. the all hands, it's never been just nope. you and me in here. No. Nope. So, uh, so we're testing it out today, <laughs> um, just to give listeners some background. If you haven't caught any of the other industry focus shows this week, we're doing picture stock theme week. Fool.com has around 100 freelance and contract writers and editors, and each year we invite them to Fool headquarters for our annual writers' conference. We thought this time we would ask three writers from each sector to pitch us a stock of their choosing. So today on the Energy and Industrial Show, we'll be hearing from our esteemed colleagues on General Motors, ticker symbol GM, NV5, ticker symbol NVEE, and Transocean, ticker symbol RIG, R-I-G. So after the pitch, uh, Christine and I will share some of our thoughts on those companies. So first, we are going to be hearing from John Rosevere on GM, ticker symbol GM. I'm John Rosevere. I'm the Senior Auto Specialist for Fool.com, and the stock I want to talk about today is General Motors. So a lot of you probably just went, oh no, because GM has such an awful history. Bear with me here. Yes, it's true that the U.S. new car market is probably on the downward side of its cycle. And yes, it's true that the auto industry is in the early stages of being shaken up by huge high-tech changes that we hear about all the time. But here's the thing about GM right now. Right here in 2017, CEO Mary Barra has it in great shape. It's very profitable right now, thanks to huge demand for trucks and its new crossover SUVs. It's also very well positioned not just to survive, but to thrive and profit as things like shared electric self-driving cars become mainstream stream over the next several years. In fact, I think we can think of GM as both a value price dividend stock kind of right now and as something of a growth stock if we look ahead several years at the same time. Listeners probably know that GM is already out in front of the industry with its affordable long-range electric car, the Chevrolet Bolt. The Bolt even beat Tesla's Model 3 to market. Of course, the Bolt isn't selling in Tesla's Tesla's numbers, thousands and thousands. But the point is that GM is roughly caught up with the technology, and it has at least 20 more all-electric vehicles in development. The next two are due by the end of next year. So GM's, GM's right in front here, and GM has confirmed that it's aiming to be 100% electric eventually. It said its future is electric. GM's also out in front of most of its rivals, at least, with self-driving technology. A GM executive said last month that it now has a mass-producible self-driving car ready. It's a Bolt, a Chevy Bolt, that has been extensively modified by Cruise Automation, which is the self-driving startup that GM bought early last year. At this point, the only thing holding GM back from banging out self-driving cars by the thousands is probably costs. The LiDAR sensors, the the laser sensors they use to do precision mapping on the roll, they're still expensive. But guess what? What? Last week, GM bought a startup that has developed a new low-cost LiDAR unit. So they have all the pieces in place now. GM may not be the absolute leader in these new technologies, but it's close enough to the front of the pack that it's very likely to be among those that, that get really fat, substantial profits, bigger than you've seen in the traditional auto industry in terms of margin, as these self-driving vehicles and electric cars become mainstream things. Mary Barra has said repeatedly that she thinks investors should see GM as a significant profit growth story in progress in large part because of that technology. And I think she's right. So there's also the value part of this. I mean, GM has had a nice run over the last six months or so. It's, it's up about 30 percent. 
it, to me, that's a sign that Wall Street is starting to catch on to this story. But but you haven't missed the boat. I mean, right now it's still quite cheap at less than eight times expected 2017 earnings. And GM pays a fairly conservative dividend that's aimed to, so that it can sustain the dividend payments through a recession. But because the stock is still cheap, the dividend yield is 3.5 percent, which which is pretty nice. It's true that sooner or later we'll have a downturn, a recession, and GM's profits could take a hit for a while. But I think GM will be especially well positioned to take off on the other side of that downturn. And I think if you reinvest that dividend between now and then, you might really like the results. I own GM stock, and that's my plan. Thanks for listening. So, Christine, what do you make of John's GM pitch? So, it is no secret that the car industry is going through a massive transformation. Gas and diesel cars are going to be replaced worldwide by electric in the coming decades. Car ownership will decline as more and more people favor car sharing. Self-driving technology is on the cusp of becoming mainstream. And so, it's been a fascinating transformation to watch. And it's, by and large, the new, smaller, on on the cusp of technology companies that are really getting all of the mainstream media attention. And so, what I love about this pitch is that it took a well-established household name, one that many might see as somewhat antiquated or on its way out, and it highlights the advancements that this company is making that put it at the forefront of this auto revolution. Yeah, absolutely. I love the fact that Uh, John said, GM is a value-priced dividend stock currently and a growth stock if we look ahead in the next several years. He said, GM may not be the leader in the technology, but it's likely to get fat profits. And I like that because I think that this is such an underappreciated aspect of a lot of stocks today. As you said, you know, the Teslas of the world get so much press time. And in fact, honestly, some of the people that some of the companies that are likely to make the most out of these new industries are probably the companies like GM, who are best placed with the infrastructure, the legacy knowledge and everything else to actually mass manufacture a lot of these um, products. And you can see that with their their Chevy Bolt. Uh, They beat the Model 3 to market. They now have uh, an extremely well run uh, production line for making electric vehicles, actually much better than Tesla, as demonstrated by um, last month's Model 3 miss. Uh, and the, the other thing to, re- to remember, too, is um, that once they can crack kind of the profitability of these cars, they'll be away. Because right now, it's not profitable at all. I think they lose about 9000 But it it does seem like the way that they're approaching it is where they can't figure it out themselves, how to do this efficiently and cheaply. They're able to use their size and their cash flow to finance some acquisitions to acquire some of these smaller, smarter players that have figured out the technology. Yeah, absolutely. They bought um, Cruise uh, Cruise Automation. Um, Cruise Automation has actually, working with them, they've delivered a fully autonomous, or believed to be fully autonomous, uh, Bolt. Uh, OnStar is also data um, gathering and connectivity vehicles. So they are the first to deploy kind of between car communication that's on the road right now. So absolutely a ton of things um, that are gearing up to make them successful in the future. And this is 100% necessary because you have countries like France, Great Britain, Norway, uh, and possibly soon to be China and India saying that eventually they're going to ban the sale um, of gas and diesel cars. So that's just going to revolutionize the industry. Yep, and China in particular would be absolutely huge there. That's the world's largest car market. And they are planning on banning the sale of gas and diesel in the coming decades. And GM, it seems like they're poised to really take advantage of that. They sold more cars in China than the U.S. last year, which is pretty incredible. And they have plans to launch 10 electric or hybrids there by 2020. Yeah, absolutely. And the the new plan, um, the you know, the 100% electric, which is where they're heading, which was announced fairly recently, um, they, they're planning two more electric vehicles 
vehicles uh, into the US market next year, a further 18 eventually by 2024, I believe. Um, so I think that there's just so much to watch here. And as you said, they're really focusing on kind of these acquisitions to bring down the cost, especially with like the LiDAR technology that John mentioned. Um, they recently announced an acquisition in that field. So 100% extremely behind <laughs> what John said um, and definitely shouldn't be underrated. And it's 30% price uh, stock price rise this year indicates that Wall Street's starting to take notice too. And yet they're still trading fairly cheaply. Historically, automakers trade around 10 times their earnings and GM is only around 7.7. Yeah, absolutely. So possibly a very, uh, very good way to get into some of these nascent uh, technologies. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I think that about covers it. Uh, So next up, we have Jason Hall pitching NV5 Global, ticker NVEE. Hi, I'm Jason Hall. I've uh, been a writer for The Motley Fool for about five years. Um, Cover uh, energy parts, some different industrials, that sort of thing. I've I've found myself really interested over the past few years um, looking at some of the more secular uh, growth plays and uh, a company that um, I found that I think is really interesting right now is uh, NV5 Global. It's a small engineering um, uh, infrastructure um, consulting company, and um, you know it, it's it's an interesting uh, opportunity for a couple reasons. Number one, if you think about from a from a national basis, you know the, in the U.S. we need to spend something like 800 billion dollars a year on infrastructure modernization. Um, and uh, just competitive investment to, to be competitive with the rest of the world over the next you know, 25 years. And uh, on a global basis, is a you know, $3 trillion annual industry. Um, and most of that money goes into you know, the steel and, and, and concrete and you know, that sort of stuff. But the companies that design the projects and, and, and manage the implementation and provide consulting services um, are, are really important. And NV5 Global, you know, it's, you know, it's going to do about $350 million in sales this year. So it's really small. Uh, the founder of the company, uh, Dickerson Wright, CEO, um, he's got a really great track record uh, in this industry of, of building businesses through acquisition and organic growth. And um, you know, he's a major shareholder. He holds you know 10% of the company, so he's really invested. So you got a founder-led business with a really great track record, and um, it, it's it's relatively expensive stock. You know, it trades you know 40 times uh, trailing earnings. You know, it's cheaper. You look at it on a on a forward basis. You know, it's trading for you know around 30 times their <coughs> management's projections for uh, for for 2017's earnings. But you know, you're looking at you know 350 million dollars in sales in a multi-billion dollar global um, or national industry. You know, a multi-trillion dollar global business. It's you know, it's a really great opportunity, I think, to invest in this company right now. So, Christine, what did you make of Jason's pitch? So, unlike GM, I had never heard of this company. (laughs) And (laughs) honestly, prior to researching for this episode, I knew very little about infrastructure at all. So, in case our listeners are starting from scratch like I was, Infrastructure is this category that's all about the the physical and the organizational structure that's needed for the operation of a society. So things like buildings and roads, sewage, water, energy and power, communication, all of that sort of thing. And NV5 primarily focuses on five business verticals. They have construction quality assurance, infrastructure engineering and support services, energy, program management, and environmental solutions. And there are more than 100,000 engineering and infrastructure consulting firms in the U.S., so NV5 is not even close to being alone in what it does, but they seem to stand out from their competitors for three reasons. They have a proven management track record, they have a very smart acquisitive strategy, and they have a large insider ownership stake. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that the uh, insider ownership stake is something that we look for in a lot of companies that there's, the employees have skin in the game. Um, they're the 60th largest engineering firm in the US, uh, ranked by Engineering News. So yes, you, you, this is a hugely fragmented industry. Um, but the opportunity, which is really what Jason is focusing on in his pitch, is undoubtedly huge. I think uh, last year, so 2016, um, global spending on infrastructure was 3.1 trillion. That's massive. Um, and as he rightly said, a lot of the a lot of the spending of that is going on to the physical uh, aspects. You know, the concrete you need, the steel you need, everything else. But a, a proportion is also going to the engineers and consulting. So a small slice of that pie even is massive. Yeah, absolutely. This is a growth stock for sure. It's up something like 7x since its 2013 IPO. It was recently ranked as 13th on Fortune Magazine's 100 Fastest Growing Companies list in 2017. The opportunity in front of them is absolutely incredible. And I mentioned earlier their acquisitive history. They're able to grow its geographical and also their technological reach by snapping up some of these other competing companies. Uh, they've acquired more than 20 different companies since their founding. And if they continue to pursue that strategy, then they should be able to really take a hold of this global market uh, with a very strong macro trend behind it. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I mean, this the macro trend um, is really kind of your main thesis, I would think, to, to buy this company. So infrastructure engineering isn't driven by economic cycles. So no matter what the economy is doing, we still need uh, water to drink. We still need our waste treated, unfortunately, and we still need uh, bridges to get over places. And um, in particular, I'll add that it's a, a trend that's very much supported by demographics. You are probably going to see the global middle class roughly double over the next 30 years, according to various estimates. And the majority of these people are going to live in cities where, in particular, you need this sort of investment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and I think that uh, one thing I would like to know more about with the company is kind of uh, they have 100 different global locations, but how, uh, how much are they centered in China? Because China is going to be huge. They spent the most on infrastructure last year, two and a half times the next kind of person on the list, which was Western Europe. Um, so I think it was important to kind of have a look at how much they're, they're operating there. Um, and then also to just be aware that this is, you know, a hugely expensive stock at the minute. Its price to earnings is 41. Um, obviously, there's a lot of competitors. One of the biggest ones uh, was probably Chicago, Bridge and Iron, uh, as a public company that people could reference against. Uh, they're in for some trouble at the moment. Um, so maybe this is another play that you can look if you're interested in that industry. Anything else you would like to add? Um, I'll just, uh, again, reiterate that this is absolutely a growth stock. It is very expensive, but it's fairly small right now. The market cap is somewhere in the $580 million range, which is pretty tiny, particularly when you think about the, the numbers that are in the high hundred trillions associated with this global market. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so next up, we're going to be talking about TransOcean. Uh, but before we do that, I want to thank Harry's for supporting our podcast. I love the story behind Harry's razors. Two guys uh, basically got sick of paying so much for razors that they started Harry's. They bought their own blade factory and began selling blades online for literally half the price razors usually sell for at the drugstore. I personally have a lot to thank Harry's for, as my husband began growing a beard a few months ago. Christine saw the pictures. <laughs> I did. Um, the beard was uh, impressive, but not my cup of tea, so I gave him a Harry's kit, which comes with a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel. It's in a beautiful box, by the way. It makes for a great gift. And he got my not-so-subtle hint and finally shaved the beard. Uh, happy wife, happy life is the philosophy that we live by. He's now also a big-time fan of Harry, saying it's the most comfortable shave he's ever had. 
so hopefully we'll be having no more debates over the beard. I have to confess, I'm also a huge fan of their shave gel. Uh, hopefully he doesn't find out that I've been stealing it, but Harry's is so confident that you will enjoy their blades that they're giving you a free trial set. It's the same trial kit I described earlier, valued at $13. It is totally free. You just have to co cover the cost of shipping. So to get your free trial, go to harrys.com forward slash fool. That's harrys.com forward slash fool. Last but certainly not least, we have Tyler Crow pitching TransOcean, ticker symbol R-I-G, Rick. My name's Tyler Crow. I'm an oil and gas analyst for Fool.com, and we're going to talk about uh, a stock I want to talk about today, and that's TransOcean, ticker symbol R-I-G. So TransOcean is an oil and gas rig provider. Basically, they're an offshore rig company that uh, is looking when an explorer, say somebody like ExxonMobil, wants to actually go drill out in the offshore. They don't own the rigs. They actually uh, they use. Rather, they contract a company like TransOcean or some of its peers. And when you're looking at a company like this, you have to kind of think about the oil and gas market over the past couple of years. Uh, since two 2014, we've seen a very large uh, drop in the price of oil. And as a result of that, a lot of people have been looking at the industry and saying, eh, you know, I don't think it's really worth it to be investing in here, especially in offshore, where the costs for production are much higher than place, say, in the Middle East or uh, shale, which is the price has gone down significantly over the past couple of years. Now, that makes pretty good sense. The only thing that that doesn't really consider is that uh, shale and some of the other lower costs like uh, OPEC, those are a little less than half of the market. And if you look at the rest of the market, it's there's been a massive wave of underinvestment over the past couple of years, which basically means that as oil current oil production uh, depletes, uh, you're going to have to replace that. And we haven't really found an effective way to do that as of yet with something like shale. It can absorb a little bit of the market, but not all of it. And that's where an investment thesis in TransOcean, a lot of these offshore players, uh, lies, is that in the next couple of years, uh, shale is not going to be able to take up all of that, and then you get this situation where prices are going to rise, and it's going to make it much more attractive to invest in the offshore area. Now, the reason that I'm picking TransOcean in comparison to a lot of its peers is uh, both because of its financial position and also because of the fleet of rigs it has. Over the past couple of years, uh, CEO Jeremy Thigpen has basically gone over a massive fleet turnover here. Well, TransOcean used to be one of the companies with one of the oldest fleets in the market. And where today, over the past couple of years, Thigpen has basically turned over the fleet, such it has one of the newer fleets in the market, uh, without really breaking the bank financially, unlike some of its other players who have gone bankrupt as a result. Uh, at the same time, when companies are going to be investing, they're going to be looking for those new rigs, especially ones with high specifications that can go into the deepest, most uh, challenging areas. and. TransOcean has a very large and available fleet to do that over the next couple of years. Now, if on all on top of all of that, you also have to look at investing in the stock, and that's where for me TransOcean looks the most compelling, because today TransOcean trades at a price to tangible book value of 0.3 times, which basically means that you're getting uh, the stock at 30 cents on the dollar for the asset values of the company, as the value or the need for offshore rigs increases and those things get deployed, it's very hard to see uh, a situation where TransOcean is going to be priced at such a low 
uh, premium or discount actually for so long. And historically, it is a company that has traded two to three times tangible book value. So if you're looking at a situation over the next couple of years where the offshore fleet gets deployed, like a lot of people or some people are going to expect or between now and 2022, I think over the next five years, something like Transocean could be a very interesting stock for people to look at. Christine, what do you make of uh, Tyler's rig uh, recommendation? So, much like the last pitch that we heard, there are two things to consider here. Should you invest in the sub-industry and should you invest in the stock? So, the sub-industry, are offshore rig companies a good investment right now? And if so, is Transocean the cream of the crop? Oil prices have been rising over the past few months, and Transocean stock has been following it pretty much in step, as it's prone to do. Industry expectations are that offshore drilling is about to kick back into gear, and I really like that Transocean has positioned itself to be ready to profit as soon as the recovery really starts up. It seems to me, though, that this is necessarily a long-term play, and it's really not for the faint of heart. Oil is still regaining its stability, and I have to imagine that the entire subsector of offshore drillers will continue to be volatile as it does so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that that's the key thing for people to remember, that my my personal opinion is that uh, offshore drilling may not recover this decade. We, we may have to wait till the 2020s to see that. Um, there has been historically an oversupply of offshore rig. And uh, Transocean has had to deal in the last 10 years with the Deepwater Horizon event, the collapse of crude prices, and it's it's definitely taken its toll on the company. However, I do agree, de- definitely sorry with Tyler, uh, that it's one of the best placed uh, companies. It's really paid down a lot of its debt. Um, it's rationalized its rig count. And as you said, it's poised to take advantage when, uh, when things turn around. It'll just be when that actually happens. The th- important thing for people to remember is that rig contracts um, were agreed a lot of rig contracts were agreed when oil prices were high, so they're still kind of relying on a lot of those rig contracts. Some of those are coming up to expire soon, and the backlog of orders is kind of something for people to be aware of and slightly concerned with. Uh, they expanded their backlog a few months ago when they bought Songa offshore for four by four billion, uh, and that acquisition gives them opportunities uh, in kind of like the strengthening North Sea oil area that we're starting to see come back online after it was pretty much left for dead. Yep, absolutely. That seems like it was a very smart move because new contracts have been really hard to come by since 2014 or so. So ultimately, when I'm thinking about this pitch and whether or not I would want to invest in Transocean, I think Transocean seems like it probably is the best company from its competitors. I mean, it seems like it's really handled the situation well. Many of its competing companies have had to file for bankruptcy, whereas Transocean has been able to kind of prune its assets, make some smart acquisitions. But the question for me is, would I want to invest in this macro industry? And on that one, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I I would agree with you um, to be hesitant. I do think that uh, if you look at shale and OPEC, they're much too, it's much cheaper to produce oil on land and from from shale. Um, but that's only half of the global supply. So at some point, we're going to reach a point where the demand is out is outstripping shale and OPEC alone, and oil has to and offshore really has to come back online in the the way that we'd seen it before. Um, I think one thing that is going to change is that rig day rates, so uh, companies like ExxonMobil will pay per day for the operation of the rig. These day rates used to be as much as $500,000 a day. I think those days are pretty much over. Um, 
one reason is that a lot of the rigs have been updated they're much more efficient now uh, and the other is just you know highly competitive uh, downtrodden market so uh, last uh, this week sorry Transocean announced a two-year contract for its Deepwater Invictus rig with BHP Billiton this is the first sign uh, of optimism from the market because oil prices are kind of rebounding um, but the the rumored terms of this agreement was for 145,000 uh, per day rates which is obviously a completely different environment uh, I, I still Still, I imagine that they're breaking even at those terms, but um, it may be harder for them to kind of eke out some of these massive profits that we've seen before. Okay, anything else you would like to add? I think I think your bottom line was exactly right. Um, demand for rigs uh, is going to be driven by the overall commodity prices. So if you're bullish on the commodity, then you might be bullish on this uh, subsector of the industry. Yeah, I, I think that nicely ties a bow on the Transocean pitch. One thing that I do want to add on a higher level is that this is a really interesting sector. <laughs> so I was very impressed by how diverse these three pitches were. You had a small size company, a mid sized company, a large company. They do three completely different things. So it's been a lot of fun. And Sarah, thanks so much for having me on. No, thank you very much. And I'm glad that you say that because I feel 100% the same. I love manufacturing infrastructure and oil and gas. I think there's just so many, so much opportunity for investors there. So thank you very much for saying that. Um, well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. I hope that listeners have taken something from this and please uh, feel free to get in touch uh, with us if you would like to hear anything more on what we've been discussing today email us at industryfocus@full.com or tweet us on twitter at mfindustryfocus as always people on the program may own companies discussed on the show and the motley fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear for christine i'm sarah Priestley. thanks for listening and full on.